Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via telehealth and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and the newest book, Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, we actually have brand new telehealth patient options now open and lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners, we're giving away free signed books. No matter when you listen to this episode, all you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. You can either leave your Instagram handle in the Apple podcast review itself, or you could screenshot your review and message me with that screenshot on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every single month, my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram, as well as the Apple podcast reviews themselves, randomly picking winners from both places. And then I'll reach out to you. I'll ask which book you want me to sign and we'll send it out to you. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. Her name is Rachel. Brathen. Rachel Brathen is a New York Times bestselling author, nonprofit founder, serial entrepreneur, and an international yoga teacher with sold out classes and festivals around the world. She's also the founder and CEO of Yoga Girl and the host of two number one podcast shows, From the Heart with Rachel Brathen and The Daily Practice with Rachel Brathen. With millions of followers on social media, years and years of professional experience, and a global audience in over 170 countries. She's been featured in Women's Health, Yoga Journal, The New York Times, Forbes, TEDx Talks, and so much more. Let's get right to it. This is Rachel Brathen's Art of Being Well. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. 
I'm glad that we're catching up in front of everybody right now, but maybe we can start with how we met and we'll go from there. I think it'll springboard into a lot of fascinating things within your health journey. Yeah. I was thinking about that this morning, just thinking about having this conversation with you, how much has changed in my life since we met and just the place I was in back then. I even had a brief moment this morning where I was thinking about mold and I was like, I'm kind of grateful mold happened because it's how I got connected with you and it's how I made so many changes in my life. It was a while ago now. How are you feeling, I guess, bringing up mold and your journey with mold? You've been very transparent on social media, but for people that haven't been following along, what were you going through in your body and what did we find? Yeah. I mean, I had these intense symptoms for a long time, a couple of years really before I even was, was connected with you and had a couple of people suggest like maybe you have some mold going on in your house. And I had some people, you know, some inspections done, they couldn't find anything. So I just disregarded that and kind of went down this path of just trying to heal. But basically it was like, I had the flu on and off for two years. That's kind of what it was. Just severe sinus issues, headaches, stuffy. And then I would get really, really, really sick, almost to the point of oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm really getting something. And then it would disappear and then it would come back and coughing and asthma and just, just a bunch of, you know, the respiratory kind of sinus stuff. Mm-hmm. And my daughter who was little at the time, she had eczema, you know, kind of all the time. Mm-hmm. And then my husband, of course, being this big dude had no symptoms, which made this like Harder to define, of course, but because we didn't find any mold, we didn't have any visible mold anywhere. I just disregarded it for a little while. It was early 2021. I had enough and I just ordered these tests. We lived in the Caribbean at the time and I ordered these tests from the US myself, the same tests that the inspection said that they were doing. And the biochemist testing dude at the lab actually wrote me a personal email and said, I don't know if you're understanding these results but you need to get out of your house now, which was very kind of him and a huge, like yeah. massive shock for us. But we moved out basically overnight. Wow. Is that when you moved from the Caribbean back to Sweden or? It wasn't the same kind of period. We didn't know what to do. Of course, at first, at first we thought like mold was brand new to me, the idea of it and it being dangerous. I, I had, but I didn't know what to do, how to do it, how to fix it. Didn't know what remediation was or how to heal. So we thought maybe we just, we need to clean the mold and we'll be back home. <laughs> that wasn't it at all. So we had a couple of months of just bouncing around Airbnbs, miserable, miserable, not knowing what was going to happen. And finally I had enough. And I said, I'm just going to go to Sweden and ground for a little bit. And then my husband stayed to, to renovate the house basically. And then I ended up falling back in love with Sweden, which led to us eventually moving here. So when we met, we ran some labs and, you know, share whatever you're comfortable with sharing. But I mean, I part of your protocol, I mean, there's obviously a lot of supplementation aspects of biofilm disruptors, mold detox support, a full, I, I would say, comprehensive approach based on things even beyond the mold side of things. But beyond the protocol side of it, the food side of it, the the clinical nutrition side of it, I know you've been transparent about your transition and the evolution from being a vegan to not being a vegan. I remember those conversations very, very in detail of walking with you through that transition of 
out of veganism. What was that like? I'm. This is the first time I'm asking you this without my doctor hat on. So I want to know, like, what did you right. think? What did what did? <laughs> like, did I hate you for a while? Yeah, was right, I- <laughs> exactly. Like, just human to human. Like, did you hate me? Did it cause fights in the home? I want to know, like, what's the nitty gritty of what was going down personally then? I mean, it was really, really hard, but I must have had some window already open in the back of my mind or I wouldn't have been open to anything you you said. You know, I two years before I met you, I worked with a a functional a functional doctor who accidentally put me on a, a bovine supplement and I fired her on the spot. Like I was so upset. I was like, how could she do this? I, I had a real, you know, big, big reaction to that. And then by the time I met you, I had already had a big feeling of I, I feel like I'm depleted. Like why am I not getting better? Why am I not healing? Why am I hungry all the time? <laughs> like why am I just feeling weak, even though I'm at a you know point in my life where I feel like I should be feeling vital and strong and energized. And I had those little nagging thoughts of just maybe veganism isn't all it for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I met you and you were so you were so good with it though. You're like a pro. <laughs> you can tell you've worked with <laughs> these transitions before because I didn't feel like I had to defend any viewpoint. And then you see how you feel. And if you ever feel open to adding maybe just a little bit of this or talking about how it would feel even to go down that path and we'll do that but if not you stay vegan and we go down this road with these these kinds of supplementations and things like that Mm -hmm. yeah it really came from me and then i had that support yeah i think that's a great point you brought up because look i mean to be transparent for everybody listening we have many vegans in care i mean we keep them on a vegan like the best version of a well-formulated vegan diet for them if it's working for them we can optimize it based off of their case, if there's no wiggle room. And that's sort of the science and art of that. If somebody is like, no, for religious reasons or specific reasons, I cannot do this, then we will build a protocol to meet them where they're at. And you have to meet a person where they're at. And if there's a lot of stress and anxiety and inner resistance around food changes, that's going to sabotage any good things we want to change because stressing about good foods is not good for their health. You're 100% right there. I was ready to just stay in a completely plant-based protocol if we had to and be a pragmatist in that way and we get people better. It's just for some people that are going through that have maybe food sensitivities or their digestion is going through a different problem. There's a plethora of different reasons why I would say Let's try to get the body some wiggle room from a nutrition standpoint. So you had to be ready and you, I, I, the door was open. I was surprised at actually how receptive you were because I thought, okay, this could not go down well. And you really were open-minded. And I mean, I think it really came from the moment I started introducing just a little bit of animal foods. If mm-hmm. I had felt no difference, if I would have felt, you know, disgusted or worse then. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I would have made that change, but it was really an immediate, immediate shift in how I was feeling like kind of mm-hmm. like I was defeated. I was missing something. And then I get these foods that in my mind felt wrong or not for me, but then my body went, oh, thank goodness, you know, mm-hmm. and then I just started following that intelligence of the body more yeah. than dogma in my head around what is right, what is wrong, what is a good person, a bad person. I had so much identity in that 
yeah, that vegan personality was super hard to decondition myself from. I, look, I was a vegan for 10 years too. I mean, so this is, we're talking to people, I don't have an ideology on like, this is the path and one way for everybody. Like, I think we're all on our health journey and we all have to find out what works for us. But I think you have to be kind of intellectually flexible or intuitive with these things and follow your body's intuition, like you said. And to be clear, you were not having like a junk food vegan diet. So you were eating a really clean vegan diet, right? I don't want to speak for you there, but. No, for most of the time, definitely. I mean, I was vegan for 15 <laughs> years, I mean, for so long and really have gone through all the cycles of, you know, starting out when there was nothing in the grocery store, there was nothing on a restaurant menu. And I was the odd one all the, all the time, difficult. And now I've even, I've even had friends say, oh, it's so difficult. Where are we going to eat now? Because Rachel eats meat now. And I'm like, I have to be the, the rebel in the group, I guess. I don't know. It's easy to get stuck in those trends or kind of here's what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And I think now I'm just so focused on what feels good, what feels mm -hmm. right. And then I end up navigating everything else much easier just from mm -hmm. that place. Something that I've taken for years to support my gut health, my energy levels, my immune system, my skin health is AG1. It is a green superfood, a multivitamin, multimineral, a probiotic, an adaptogenic blend, a functional mushroom blend, all in one. Just one scoop every day in water. I have it in between consulting telehealth patients. It's something very convenient, very practical and sustainable that I can do every day to support many systems for my health. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition. That's what they really are just, they're pioneers in this space. These are common deficiencies. These are common things across the board that every human needs to thrive and feel their best. And they are continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. As someone that looks at labs all day long, I can tell you, nutrient deficiencies are ubiquitous, they're common but not normal, and AG1 is a simple way to fill in the gaps in the modern Western diet. Even if you are extra specific and extra intentional with supporting nutrient density with your meals, it's really hard to fill in the gaps because our food isn't what it once was. And AG1 makes it really easy. You'll notice such a difference when you start AG1. AG1 has a team of doctors and scientists. It is tested for 950 contaminants and is NSF certified for sport. It is formulated based on the latest science and maintains high quality standards. AG1 is the supplement I try to provide to support my body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner for so long. Actually, since the beginning of the art of being well, they're one of the first sponsors on the pod. It's because I use it daily. I recommend it to telehealth patients. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and also five free AG1 travel packs, which I take everywhere when I'm traveling. With your first purchase, you get both of those. So go to drinkag1.com slash willcole. Again, that's D-R-I-N-K-A-G and then the number one.com slash willcole. Drinkag1.com slash willcole. Check it out. You guys know I'm always on the lookout for ways to strengthen my immune system, support my gut health, improve my fitness and metabolism, and enhance my skin health and my hair health. 
A product that I've used for a long time is Arma Colostrum. You all better know by now, if there's a sponsor on The Art of Being Well, it's because I use it, my telehealth team uses it, we recommend it to patients or all three. And this is definitely an all three. We love Arma Colostrum at the telehealth center. Colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and contains all of the essential nutrients our bodies need in order to truly thrive. Armor Colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 living bioactive nutrients that rebuild the barriers of your body and fuel cellular health for a host of research-backed health benefits. It strengthens your immune system, it ignites your metabolism, and it supports anti-inflammation pathways in the body, fortifies your gut health, activates hair growth and skin radiance, powers fitness performance and recovery, and confers powerful anti-aging benefits. Armra is premium bovine colostrum concentrate, and unlike any other product on the market, it is wholly natural, sustainable, and was developed at the highest integrity from start to finish. Unlike other colostrums, which uses heat pasteurization that depletes nutrient potency, Armour leverages the proprietary cold chain biopotent technology, an innovative process that purifies and preserves the integrity of hundreds of bioactive nutrients while removing casein and fat. My patients that are dairy sensitive do so well with Armour's colostrum because they remove the casein. And this guarantees the highest potency and bioavailability of any colostrum available on the market, proven in biochemical and clinical research studies for results you can actually see and feel in your body. We've worked out a special offer for my audience. Receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarma.com slash willcole or enter willcole to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash will cole that's tryarmra.com slash will cole and use will cole at checkout to get that special discount i mean going back to sort of the identity and sort of the um, morality i think that's attached to veganism and vegetarianism that aren't really attached to other ways because when you have that it's not just a way of eating right it's not like okay it's high carb or low carb and you could have food tribalism with that but there's a whole level of, like you said, I'm a good person, a moral person. And it's equated with, in some, I would say, factions within that realm as murder. It's seen as murder and you are called a murderer and you're seen as a murderer. So this is a whole level of beyond food. This is beyond food, which just for people to understand that aren't vegans, the heaviness that's at play here when you're sort of, like you said, deconditioning yourself. So I know you then were public on social media about this, which they know for 15 plus years, Rachel's a vegan. And this is part of your conversations you were having with your community on social media. What was the response on social media? And were you surprised by that response? I mean, the response was, it was as expected. I knew it was going to be a shit show. I mean, I knew I was really prepared for I'm going to get death threats. People are going to, you know, send me things to my house. The world is going to go, go a little bit crazy here. But I also could see my own responsibility in that because I spent years on social media trying to convert people to go vegan and kind of on my high horse and lecturing. And here's why this is better. And I genuinely believe that all those things were, were true. I wasn't trying to trick anyone. I think I contributed to a lot of people going vegan. So then having those same people 
shocked and upset and feeling betrayed or like I'm a hypocrite, it's it makes sense, you know. I don't blame those those people, and I really see my own role in that. I was surprised at how positive the response was at first before things got really, really bad and how many people are in the same transition and how many people have just started letting go of the label without maybe attaching too much weight or heaviness to that. And that was really nice to see, honestly, that there's just a lot of flexibility there. But it was it got rough. It got rough for a couple of weeks. I think the thing that really helped was that I waited. I didn't, you know, have my first sip of bone broth and then go, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> <laughs> you waited months. You waited months to say anything. I waited almost. A year. I mean, it was a very slow process. I waited almost. Yeah, maybe almost a year. Like, I think I had an egg it was like the first thing I had. And then I didn't had nothing for a long time. And then I had a little bit of something. So it was really a gradual process until I knew like in my bones that this is how I'm eating now. I don't want to start this debate of back and forth. I just, I felt so integrated in my choice that I wasn't wavering. Mm -hmm. And then also did tons of just research and work around farming and agriculture and animal, you know, factory farming and how the different versions of not being a vegan, what's actually possible out there. Because for a lot of vegans, it's like mass murder, mass slaughter, mass fear, mass horror, you know, or vegan. And I started finding all of these versions of eating animal foods that actually are really helpful to the environment and that are really not harmful in the way that I was always kind of taught that eating animal foods is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're talking about regenerative and local. Can you talk about some of the I guess when you're looking for non-plant-based foods, what are some of the criteria that you're looking out for? For pe- people that are maybe curious about this or are plant-based that are looking for ethically sourced animal foods? I mean, it's different for everyone, of course, depending on what you can afford and where you live and, and circumstance. And not everyone can live this way, but I live on the countryside and there's tons of little farms all around. I mean, actually, around most big cities, there are small farms and small small scale farms where they sell really sustainably grown vegetables and where they let the cows stay with their baby calves and it's grass fed. And it's actually part of keeping that cycle of the farm moving forward. And I remember a couple of years ago, I wanted to move towards self-sufficiency and just become really self-sustaining and, and grow all of my own foods and all my own vegetables And I bought the Bible of self-sufficiency, which is this huge book from like 1970 something. This is from the hippie era. I think a lot of people were vegetarian then. And they made it very clear, like you cannot be self-sustaining on your own farm without animals. And I was like, what? That goes against everything I know as a vegan. What do you mean? Like you have to then buy, you know, cow poop and you have to buy all of these things that in an otherwise circular system, you know, just kind of takes care of itself. And I was so shocked to learn about that. But once you kind of understand what the soil needs and what you need to actually grow all these foods Mm -hmm. as a vegan, even it's easy to see that you can't just take the animals out of the equation. And that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean factory farming and horrors like that. But yeah, around us here, we have tons of small little farms where I literally go pick up my eggs. They have food delivery service, like meat delivery services, where they have select little farms that I just, it's like a subscription we get every month or every six weeks. Just like being a vegan takes research in the beginning, you know, takes work. So does eating animal foods sustainably. I mean, it really does. Mm -hmm. Well said. So going back to the social media component of it, the public response, 
You have such an interesting perspective on this, like being within the wellness community, sharing these type of things. How do you handle the social media noise for better or for worse? Like, do you have any pro tips? Like what's your, (laughs) what's your uh, take on it? I mean, you know what it's like. (laughs) I know you do. Yeah. I don't know. I think I've been at this for so long. I mean, I, I started my Instagram account 2012. So it was really like at the very, very beginning, no one was really doing wellness or yoga and social media it was so, so, so new. So I feel a little bit like I'm, I'm seasoned. I'm a veteran. You know, I, I kind of know how to manage things, but it just literally comes down to how solid I feel inside of myself, my own spiritual practice, how grounded I am. Have I been to therapy, you know, past couple of weeks? Am I talking about how I'm feeling? Am I eating well? Am I taking care of myself? And if I am, everything is manageable. And if I'm not, every comment really hurts and becomes really personal and kind of sends me into this spinning kind of negative place. So I don't think there is a tip around like, how do you logistically manage hundreds of thousands or millions of people having opinions about you other than you have to deepen your spiritual practice and just know who you are. Overall, do you feel like we are better or worse with social media? And I know we, I mean, I'm in telehealth. I, I, it's very much tech driven. We communicate, we educate people with social media, but it also is a massive part of mental health issues for people, a massive issue of loneliness and a lot of toxic things. So what's your take on that overall with social media culturally beyond us? I have reached a place now where I feel like we need to scale back. <laughs> I really, really think so. For a while, I thought there is a really sustainable way to do this. You have to set boundaries for yourself. You have to kind of figure out how to navigate for your own mental health and be responsible in what you share. But I feel like we're getting to a point where it's just literally taking over every moment aspect of our lives. It's how we communicate. It's how we sell. It's how we do business. It's how we do everything. We talk to our loved ones. It's, it's everything is, is there. It's what works for me, but I don't know. What do you feel works for you? How do you navigate that? It's hard. It is hard. And I, I agree with you. It's almost people need to take bigger breaks because it's not easy. I mean, it's kind of self-imposed in some ways for me because when I am with patients one-on-one, I can't be on my phone. So I almost like it for that reason because I'm intentionally talking to somebody about something which I know some people's schedules aren't like that for me and their phone is drawing them back. For me, it's 10 hours a day for the most part through the week. I really can't be on social media, which is kind of nice, but you know, it's always there and I'm staring at a screen still in telehealth, but it's not in the same sort of insatiable consumption, this FOMO inducing content, this noise that happens with social media. So I think you know, tech is one thing and that's a whole other conversation, but social media is another beast beyond tech. So it is. it's easier to to regulate tech. I mean, you choose how many patients you have a day, you yeah. can choose if you meet them in person or if you want to mm-hmm. have a lot more leeway there. But I think for every generation, I mean, I look at, I have little sisters that are 20 in their early twenties, that that phone is like a limb and it's somehow it's, it's, it's a big part of my life too, but it's different for people 10 years, 20 mm-hmm. years younger. And I wonder what it's going to be like for for our kids when they grow up. And it's a little bit scary when you really think of the social media angle of it all. My son at this point is 16 years old. My daughter's 14. My son just got social media and it's just Instagram this year. And it was, okay, you're driving now. I hope that the foundation that I built for you, 
that you really can make wise decisions for yourself. And he is. He actually came to me and he said, Dad, can you put time limits on my Instagram? Because it's like too much for me. So he, I think, has the conscious awareness to say no. But it wasn't a limb for him for 16 years, which I think that's the difference. And I'm not saying my son's some amazing I mean, obviously, I think he's amazing because I'm his dad. But you know what I mean? I think there's something to the fact that we delayed things and he doesn't see it as a limb. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you give a kid a phone when they're eight or 10 or 12, something 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 happens. And there's not a right, wrong way. I'm not saying everybody has to do that. But for us, it was like I saw what was happening with his friends. It's like for us, we're going to choose differently. Yeah. And it's just if you ever have one of those days where you feel like, oh, I was kind of mindlessly on my social media today. Like you have, I have those days where, what did I do? Like I spent all this time on my phone and, you know, they have that setting on the iPhone where you can check your pickups. It's scary. Like that (laughs) is like a wake up call. (laughs) How many times I pick it up just to like inbox or uh, Instagram or, you know, I don't want to live my whole entire life that way. And I'm saying this now as like, I'm off all screens. Like I'm talking to you now, but that's, that's, that's the only interaction I'm having with a screen today. It takes a day. And then all of a sudden, all the things that I felt stressed about don't matter. It's so quick to just regulate back once you're back in nature or back with your feet on the earth, you know, it's, it's quick. And that's also nice to know that you can, yeah, yeah, there's because people have anxiety. I mean, that's a real thing. People have panic attacks and anxiety. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my limb? So you've gone more than once. You've gone completely cold turkey. You said it. You kind of bounced back pretty quickly. What's the longest you've gone without any social media? I don't know. I've had cycles where I'm really good, where I decide, okay, I'm doing the boundary thing. So no phone before 10, no phone after 5 p.m. Or only use it for, you know, I post once a day, but I don't interact with anybody. Mm-hmm. And that kind of works until it doesn't, until I have a low day or until I'm super distracted or anxious, but not reaching for a real resource. And it's like the phone is there and then you end up scrolling and then that boundary is out the window. So I cycle through stuff like that. But now I'm planning to take a couple of weeks at least off, which is also scary if you have a brand that's based in social media, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. It's not a little thing to to do, but it's also a great excuse to be on social media all the time. True. And I think there's something to be said when you get to the certain point, you have people on your team that maybe can can post things. That way you're not on online. You could delegate it to people and they could still see your life. They could still be involved. I think that works for some people. I've seen it work for several people that I can think of the top of my head where the person that works for them doesn't have the same investment because it's not their thing, but they can post, they could share it, but you have that boundary that sometimes you almost need to give it to somebody else entirely. No, it's hard. And I don't, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm more sensitive than other people, but I really feel it does affect me. And it's, it's a good, you know, I can get a comment about something ridiculous that really does not matter. It's just negative for whatever reason. And then I find myself three hours later, like thinking about that person, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I know, no, <laughs> no, not no. worth it. Not I worth know it. it. I'm not the same way. It. I'm empathetic and empathic when it comes to that. I'm like, who are you? Why would you be say that? You don't even know me. This is so sad. Please like me, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And it's like an endless spiral, like trying to get somebody that's committed to misunderstanding you to try to like rationalize with them. It's to exercise in futility, sadly. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard about Seller Eats, guys? This is so freaking delicious. These are grain-free baking mixes 
made with eight or less real ingredients like almonds, coconut, and dates. They make mixes like carrot cake, banana bread, coffee cake that are also gluten-free, paleo-friendly, and naturally sweetened with coconut and date sugars. As the holidays are coming around, people are wanting something delicious, but also foods that love you back, right? Something that you're not going to regret and feel bloated, inflamed, and miserable the next day. Well, you have to check out these. Your family is going to be amazed because they're going to not even know (laughs) these things are actually good for you because they taste so freaking good. The taste and texture are just like the traditional conventional treats. And the brand is started by three women who are frustrated with diet culture and how healthy eating is made all about how you look, not about how you feel or how the food actually tastes. They're on a mission to change the way wellness brands speak to consumers with this amazing brand. My family loves Stellar Eats and I know your family will as well. Visit StellarEats.com. Use code WillCole at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R-E-A-T-S.com and use code WillCole for 20% off your first order. Stellar Eats is also available at Whole Foods stores nationwide. Every day we're in a silent battle with our devices. Devices that are slowly and stealthily draining us. Our biology is changing to meet the demands of the information age. But why and what can we do about it? If you're interested in finding the answers to these questions and more, you have to listen to the Body Electric Podcast on NPR. As somebody whose job is in telehealth, I'm looking at screens all day long. And that's many of us, right? We may not be in telehealth, but... Many of our jobs are surrounded around our phones or around our computers. We want to know some practical ways for us to reclaim our health and to use technology, but have healthy boundaries with it. Body Electric is an interactive six-part series that investigates how our relationship with technology is impacting our health, from nearsightedness and mass psychogenic illnesses to type 2 diabetes rates doubling in young people. Body Electric is partnering with Columbia Medical School to truly find out why. Body Electric touches on topics like tips for parents, mental health, debunking popular beliefs, and provides a feel-good tone with solutions you can actually take part in. Honestly, I'm recommending this show for all of my telehealth patients for ways to empower themselves, to know what we're up against, because when we know what we're up against, we can start to do something about it. With the mounting pressures of today's society, Body Electric strives to help lighten your load mentally and physically. Listen now to Body Electric on TED Radio Hour from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. So your journey with healing from the mold toxicity, people are going to be wondering, like, what's your health look like now? What what did that journey look like? Can you catch us up to speed? Yeah. So I had, I don't know, at least a year where I was on the protocol with you with the herbs and the, yeah, the biofilm disruptors and all, all that stuff and started introducing more and more animal foods and just started feeling incrementally so much better. And it was, it didn't feel like a big complete diet overhaul because I did it so softly and a little bit at a time. And now <laughs> I think the biggest change is I don't think so much about food anymore. 
which for me is like a very new landscape to even navigate because as a vegan, I was always constantly thinking about what is allowed, what isn't allowed. Can I eat this? Can I not eat that? That is like restricted over here. It was always present. Like the world was not abundant. I couldn't choose from everything. It was really this feeling of, of restriction in every area of my life, even though I would, I, I didn't feel that way in the moment, but I can see that it was like that now. Mm. And now I, I eat a mainly, you know, I don't even know. Is it like a mainly animal foods based diet? I eat meat and fish and chicken and drink tons of bone broth and eat lots of vegetables and grow my own vegetables. I still eat and enjoy just an abundance of, you know, the vegan foods that I used to eat. I've just yeah. added, it's just less of that and more protein, animal protein. So I feel fuller. I don't have to have a second breakfast anymore, which I always used to do. I probably eat more calories, but I, I don't know that food is not, it's not my main navigator anymore. It's not in my head all the time, mm -hmm. which I didn't even know was a problem, but it, it kind of was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is for many people, vegans or and like not vegan. So it could be anybody, but yeah, you're right. The more hyper fixated you are about food and I think you have so much flexibility. And like you said, you're still eating all that vegan. You're eating a really clean omnivore way of eating and it loves you back. And it's not about a label or calling it one thing or the other. It's just eating foods that love you back. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I, I bake my own sourdough bread. And I know like th this idea that, of course, I know you don't eat too much of that or too much yeah. of that. But I love sourdough. I think it's yeah, great. Yeah. And I make it myself. I, I don't have any bad reaction to that. But I used to. If I ate tons of bread, I felt terrible. And now somehow I can. I, there's things, things I can eat now, I think, because I've shifted my diet and because I'm more relaxed. And if yeah. I want to have an ice cream, I have an ice cream and it's not a big deal. And just food is not this hyper fixation anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the other thing to point out, two things. One is when mold is cleared out or for somebody, it's, you know, maybe getting their gut healthier or a viral issue for another person, some sort of biotoxin or stressor, even a mental, emotional stressor, like trauma for some people or stress. When you deal with the physiological and psychological stressors, food sensitivities tend to go away. I mean, obviously there's exceptions and, and there'd be some foods that don't love people back. But like you said, a lot of things that you could never quote unquote get away with tend to abate and calm down as you deal with the root cause of why you're struggling. So like you said, sourdough, which is more digestible anyways for people because it is fermented. But I know people that can't do sourdough now, but when they get better, they really can reintroduce it. So that's Great point. And the second point is you live in Sweden, which is yeah, be right. be better food quality, generally speaking, than us in stateside can't get away with all the time with the amount of oh, it stuff is true. Yeah. in the food. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And I did eat, I mean, I ate a lot more processed foods. I still had, you know, nut milks and stuff and I would make my own when I was vegan, but then I would get lazy and I would eat the ones with all the oils and all the stuff and never mm. felt like I was eating a lot of processed foods in that way, but I was, you know, vegan butter, vegan milk, not like I'm eating vegan, you know, chicken wings for breakfast or anything like that. But those things felt really clean to me at the time. Mm -hmm. And I look at them now and I would have this golden blob of grass fed butter from the farm next door in the fridge. Like, why would I not eat that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> why yeah. would I eat all of these weird oils that I don't know where they came from or how they were extracted? Mm -hmm. It just feels, yeah. And it's delicious. <laughs> Yeah. I mean butter. <laughs> and I think there's something 
I don't know if you've connected these dots and I see this for everybody, but specifically for you, because you went to your ancestral home too, there was something physically visible for me when I saw you actually make that move. And then you started eating ancestrally too. There's something I think primally healing that happened to you on that level as well. Like you, and I don't want to sound too woo woo, but you almost were supported by your ancestors and eating in alignment with that. Did you ever see that? I've never said that to you, but that's how I've saw your journey specifically. I love that you say that. I've had some of my best friends have said that, and I wasn't super aware of it just myself when I made that transition, but there must be something to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a root, I have two root cellars now. So we live on a little farm and I grow my own potatoes and then they, put them in the root cellar and they survive, you know, the whole fall and the whole winter. And that's exactly how my ancestors would, would live. Potato is like the, you know, a a huge staple here and has been for so many years Mm -hmm. and living in the Caribbean, I was eating, you know, goji berries and I don't know, weird superfoods from all over the world, put in a smoothie, a hundred ingredients. There's a different kind of energy to that Mm -hmm. versus I'm eating now. And I'm even looking out at the lake where we live now. And my great, 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 great grandmother lived here. Wow. And totally like bathed in this lake and washed her clothes here. And, you know, it's the same body of of water. And I think there's so much to that kind of Mm -hmm. reconnection. I mean, there's a big healing in that too. It's Mm -hmm. so good to know that healing is not just food. It's not just the macros of what you put into your, your system. You know, it's so, so much more vast than that. Yeah. I never told you this. I've never said this actually in the podcast before, but where my telehealth center is at physically, I found out after we signed the lease and moved in all of that stuff, I found out that my great, great grandfather's home was the exact location that the telehealth center is at. Out of all the city of Pittsburgh, I never would have met him. He passed away in 1950. I did a lot of ancestral work after seeing that. I'm like, how did I end up exactly where he was at? Isn't that crazy? Not by chance. Not oh by God. chance. And he was like a grape farmer. Apparently he had an orchard here. And that blows Some, my mind. It's crazy, really right? Yeah. On your brother's farm, there's that Viking. Can you share everybody with that? I, I think that's the <laughs> coolest thing. Yeah. So we have a little farm here and then across the road or five minutes away is my brothers and my dad. They have a, a farm. And in his, it's literally in his backyard. He has Highland cattle now, or he has, he has cows now. So they had to kind of fence it in, but there's a rune stone that's 1,500 years old, dedicated to the man that lived there mm-hmm. on behalf of his wife and his two children. It's literally 1,500 years old, like this Viking rune stone that's just in his backyard. Sometimes like German tourists will like pull up to his house with a map. <laughs> They're like trying to looking- find it. <laughs> yes. That's funny. Trying to find it because it's so... I mean, it's really magnificent. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. But Sweden mm-hmm. is like that. And that where I live, this part of Sweden, there's a lot of Viking history here. Tons. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw recently on social media that you are embarking on a personal, I guess, growth journey as well, wanting to study herbalism. Is Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I started. That's I'm amazing. Kind of Can you? The- course yeah tell me about it yeah it's really truly wonderful it's also something that was reinvigorated for me the moment i moved back to to sweden i mean i lived in the caribbean for 12 13 years and i was always i was into gardening i I had a little you know vegetable garden outside the house but it was desert and everything that grew could kind of 
sting you or hurt you. We had a lot of aloe and cactus and things like that, but nothing else. And then I came back to Sweden throughout this mold journey. And I would take my, my daughter for a walk and just remember the names of flowers that my grandmother taught me when I was little that I have not had a connection with or interacted with since I was my daughter's age, pretty much. And it was this huge awakening just into the world of botany and into the world of herbs and into the world of herbal healing and remembering how much I've always known about these things because I wasn't living here, just completely forgot and it wasn't relevant to, mm. to my life anymore. And now I, I want to be an herbalist. Yeah. I, love <laughs> I don't know it. if I'm going to do it as like a life's calling or just to, to continue supporting my family's healing, but it's so beautiful and fascinating. It's really been life-changing, mm -hmm. truly. Well, I think with your reach and your community, look, if you choose to keep it just for your family, that's beautiful and then primary, I would say. But I think you bringing this awareness to other people and letting people know it's even out there because we're so disconnected from nature and so distracted and numbed on social media and in our life, busy in our life, that I think hearing even you have that discussion provoked probably so many people and will continue to do so as you share it oh, wow, I can really learn about these things. And that's where social media, I think, really shines, right? We can have, we can really empower people to learn about things in, that they'll never otherwise hear about. Yeah, and I think there's something so comforting about, I don't know, taking a walk and then recognizing a plant and knowing that I can apply this in different ways or I can just leave it here and enjoy the beauty of it or understand its purpose, you know, in this, in this world. There's something very comforting and grounding about that. Yeah, for sure. And I think people look at herbalism as this woo-woo crazy thing. And I think it's just a beautiful shift, you know, that we can actually do so much for ourselves. I can make my own medicine and it's so easy, mm -hmm. so simple. I don't have to buy this super expensive stuff at Erewhon or mm -hmm. <laughs> Whole Foods. I can find mm -hmm. the same things and forage for them and make them myself. And there's something so deeply sacred about that. Yeah, truly. As you know, the podcast is called The Art of Being Well. At the end of every episode, I want to have your art of being well. This is Rachel Brathen's Art of Being Well. First question is, what is the worst tasting healthy food? You eat it based off of the research around it, but it still tastes disgusting. Do you have any food that fits that criteria? I won't eat anything that I don't enjoy. I mean, I'm really ser serious about that. I will take like a a medicine, like a tincture, I will do that. I'll take bitters and think, you know, not everything has to be sweet and, and enjoyable. But if if there's a food that I literally don't enjoy, I, I don't feel like it's good for me. I hate quinoa. I hate it. I hate it. I always have. I won't eat it. I love it. What's yours? What's yours? I would probably say organ meats, but I don't eat it very often. And I haven't found a way that I really loved it. I normally get it in capsules, which I know is not the same. And I tell patients the same thing. Like, it's not the same. But it's not something that I go to on a regular basis. I, but, you know, I have found a way. You can do it yourself. But there are brands that will do, they'll mix like about a, one third of organ meats with two thirds of like re regular ground meat, which can kind of hide the taste. I can do it that way. That's as far as I can go. You know, here, liver pate is a huge part of my childhood. It was my favorite thing to put on toast, like for breakfast in the morning. And if I go to the grocery store here, there's 20 kinds. Like there's the traditional kind and then this fancy flavored kind and then the organic kind and then this kind. And it's just a very common thing to put on, on bread. Wow. 
That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's especially if you were raised with it, there's probably some people tell me, okay, I was raised with it and I hate it. But I think you probably, if you like it enough, you probably could acquire a taste just nostalgic or whatever. It's just part of your routine. Yeah, if you put pickles on it, like that acidity or the kind of brininess of that, I think cuts some of the heavy. Maybe I should try that. Some pickles yeah. on my liver. <laughs> I'll try it. I'll be truly Swedish. <laughs> what's your dream vacation if you had to like ideally what's what's the ultimate vacation for you oh this is so cheesy to say but i would just stay right where i am no that's beautiful yeah it really if you would have asked before i moved here i would have said i just want like a cold body of water where i can cold plunge and swim and i want to be in the woods and i want this like scandinavian nature that i've craved for so long and now I live here and that desire to go on vacation is just not here right now. So wow. that's really cool. It's a little cheesy, but yeah, no. it's true. Hey, that's, that's, that's the dream. That's what, honestly, people don't have to go somewhere outside of themselves to find it. Right. And you live a simple life. I mean, living in, you would call it like, it's the countryside. It's the farm side, right? It's the farm country of Sweden. Yeah, yeah. We live, it's in the woods, but it's like a, we have a little homestead farm, but we're an hour from Stockholm. So if I want to go into the mm -hmm. big city and do something, I don't know, I, I can do that, but it's really quiet and peaceful. And yeah, I love it. You should come visit. I feel like you fit so well into the Scandinavian and like Nordic culture. I agree with you. I, I feel it calling. I'll take you up on that offer. Thank you. What are two supplements that have been the biggest supporters for you personally magnesium for sure and i keep ordering the one you put me on in the beginning that neuro mag mm -hmm. and the powder form mm -hmm. it just feels different than all the other kinds of supplements I've, I've been on but the magnesium for sure i take the liver capsules too i don't know if that counts as a supplement yeah. because i feel like i steadily want to have that intake and i feel like i do really feel different if i miss a week or i kind of get off them i i feel I feel a difference. Yeah, I can't pinpoint what it is, but I, I can kind of get that craving of I, I need that. That would be a high on my list as well, for sure. Yeah. What's okay. a spiritual or mindfulness practice that has been the biggest tool in that category, the biggest game changer in your life personally? And I think the ritual of tea. I sit in ceremony and in ritual with tea every every day. I still practice yoga. I still have my my regular kind of movement routine, but tea has become a bigger shining star in my life in terms of what helps me really ground. So just having that, you know, a sacred ritual moment with a plant medicine that's really accessible and very nurturing mm -hmm. is a big part of my meditation practice. So that one I would say for sure. And then anything earthing and grounding. And I live by a lake, so I can do this every day, but I love a cold plunge every day. But if I didn't have the lake, I would walk barefoot, even if the weather is not great or hug a tree, like have a moment to really, really ground in nature is for me, the fastest way to really turn a bad day around or to settle anxiety. It's just a reminder that we are nature. It's not a place we visit. I belong here. You know, it's a really comforting knowing to come back to. Yeah. Well, well said. Do you know what Enneagram you are? Do you know the, the personality study? Or Myers Briggs, yeah. any take me through it. <laughs> and I wonder, because it was so long ago I did it. I wonder, does it ever change? Because I'm a three. Okay. But I don't know if I feel 
like a three and it was probably 10 years ago. I did. You should take the assessment. I think you can shift. Yeah, you can. What are you? I'm not an Enneagram expert by any means because there are unhealthier and healthier versions. Like all of these things exist on a spectrum. So I think people can be quote unquote mistyped with these things. I've seen people discuss this within the Enneagram community, but I'm an Enneagram five, which is the, a researcher, which works well with my, <laughs> with my job. Works well with that. Yeah. Fitting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I'm a three, which I always felt like very, you know, competitive and achiever and performer. Yeah. And I definitely have that, but it's not the lead of my personality anymore. So I wonder if I should do the test. Yeah. Again. I'd be curious <laughs> to see if it shifted. What is like your top tip for you personally to increase energy levels? Like if you're having maybe a lull in energy, what's what's a good pick me up? To move. I'll do this thing where I put just one great song really loud on speaker and dance like a crazy person in the kitchen and just shake and go bananas and make funny faces and maybe vocalize and kind of, you know, just get the energy up and out. And I find often one song, like one great song and just intense movement will, will do that. We'll make the, make the shift. That's a great tip. What is your top tip for a great night's sleep? Oh, to go to bed earlier. I'm so bad. Me too. It doesn't matter how much like I'm using the, you know, blue or red light glasses and taking my magnesium and doing the wind down. If I'm, if I'm doing it too late, which I often find myself doing sleep is not my I'm not the expert there. Yeah. <laughs> or works in progress. Works in progress. I'm working on it. Working on it. Yeah. What is yours? I want to know yours. It's for me, getting a good night's sleep is going off of technology a few hours before bed and reading a book in bed. I sleep the best. I fall asleep faster. Just something that calms your mind. You're not looking at a screen. My sleep scores go up when I do that consistently. I bet. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So tell us about your podcast. You have, is it a daily podcast? Where can people learn about all the amazing things you're doing and listen to your podcast? Yeah, I have two podcasts. I have a daily and a weekly. And the daily is called The Daily Practice. So it's Monday through Friday, little bite-sized five minutes episodes where we we do inner work and healing work. And we have one day for gratitude and one day for meditation and then one day for journaling and contemplation and a day of self-care and action. And there's always a, a theme of the week where we just get to know ourselves better and yeah, and do some practical hands-on healing work every day. It's called The Daily Practice. And then I have a weekly podcast called From the Heart, which is basically me <laughs> storytelling and crying a lot and sharing a lot of big feelings and kind of navigating life as a mom and, you know, social media person and just a human being. So it's, a, it's, it's not really your traditional interview, you know, pod. It's a deeply, deeply personal one. I love it. And I didn't realize this until recently that a producer on your podcast, Philip, right? That I know Philip, but from Goopfellas, and he was one of the producers on Goopfellas. And what a small world that the guy that yeah. works on your podcast worked on my past podcast. Super, super small. Yeah, he produces and for years. I mean, he's produced my show for, for years. So, yeah. Well, my friend, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. And I can't wait to talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me.
Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.